On today's episode of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, we talk about emotional intelligence with the inspired dentist, Dr. Shakila Ngadi. She's a dentist and social and emotional intelligence certified coach that is determined to help improve the lives of fellow healthcare professionals. She graduated from the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Dentistry and has been in private practice for over 11 years. She realized that empathic communication and self-awareness techniques were the keys to expanding her practice and improving her leadership skills exponentially. You can learn more about EQ and her coaching programs at theinspireddentist.com and on social media. She's on Facebook and Instagram at The Inspired Dentist. We start out defining EIQ or the Emotional Intelligence Quotient and how she ended up becoming a certified coach in this area. She tells us the common issues health professionals have that seek her expertise and how she helps them address these issues. In discussing how it can help the doctor-patient relationship, she gives a particularly powerful piece of advice, saying just one thing to each patient, and that will help all of us connect with our patients just a little bit better. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Dr. Shakila Ngadi, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, so let's get right into it. Tell us, what is emotional intelligence and what made you decide to get certified in it? Absolutely. So emotional intelligence is the ability to be aware of your emotions and your emotional state at the time in which you experience them. And that's a very broad answer because it goes so much deeper into understanding where our emotions come from and what do they mean and how do we interpret them. But for me, emotional intelligence is all about getting to know a deeper part of ourselves that we can actually use as information. When we start rethinking the way we experience our emotions and use them in a more thoughtful way, we start making decisions in our life that are more responsive in nature, less reactive in nature, and it translates to a happier, healthier balance. And for me, that's where my journey started. I was the opposite of being cognizant of any of my emotions. I was feeling the symptoms of someone who was trying to live up to the expectations of being in the field that I was in dentistry, being married to medicine, my husband's a physician, and trying to do it all, right? To be the best clinician. I just bought a practice. I just had a child. I had no idea what I was doing in any of that. I mean, I was practicing dentist for about six years when all of this was going on, but I had to hit my rock bottom because in that rock bottom, I experienced the symptoms of exacerbated stress, right? The insomnia, the back pain, what the heck am I doing? You know, parenting doesn't really help because there's no manual with that. But the conglomeration of everything that felt like my world on my shoulders was really a really trying time for me because there was no easy way for me to solve it, right? In clinical practices, you have a problem, you figure out what's going on, and you apply a solution or you apply a diagnosis and you fix it. And that's really what I thought I could do with my life, I think, at that point. And I was very disappointed to find out that it wasn't that easy for sure because... it, It sounds like you were living the dream. Right, I you was were, you were you had reached, accomplished all of the goals that you set out to do. Absolutely, I mean, dental I, school. You 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 got married. You had a kid. Right, and yet that was the goal. That was the end point. You were there. You hit it, and yet you didn't feel like it was what you had hoped it would be. Absolutely, including the white picket fence and the house, and oh, we are settled, quote unquote, settled. Right, I mean, everything that we crave when we are training we had, right? And we achieved this 
expectation that was put upon me from a young age to work hard and to help others and trying to live a life of purpose and happiness, that was kind of secondary. It was more of, can you reach these goals and can you have this idea of what success is? And when I reached that point, I found myself silently drowning. I found myself silently struggling. And it was silent because, you know, even before Facebook is what it is today and social media is what it is today, there was a lot of silence in talking about these struggles. And it was a really solitary place to be. And I thought that being a new mom and being a new business owner and having my own practice, that that was the problem, right? We look sometimes we look outward for the solution that may be there. And I did just that. I threw a lot of money into consulting. I learned the ropes on how to establish a business, grow a business, and be successful at it, which it was. And all the other parenting books that I could read, right? So I was trying to tackle the problem for what I saw was the symptoms. Why am I overstressed? It's because I'm overwhelmed at work or I'm overwhelmed with parenting or I'm overwhelmed with X, Y, and Z. Let me fix it. I put my fixing band-aid skills to use, but I found out over that next couple of months that things were getting better from a metric standpoint, meaning the business was growing, my parenting skills were somewhat growing, but I still was feeling this emptiness within that didn't make sense to the logic of what was growing outside of me. And it was in those, in that moment, in those days where I, I think it was over Ben and Jerry's ice cream, possibly in the middle of the night, wondering what the heck am I doing? Why am I working so hard? What is the point of all of this? You know, these ethereal life questions that we find ourselves asking. And it was really over that where I, where it kind of came to me that if it's not everything around me, then it has to be something from me. That everything that I'm fixing on the outside wasn't increasing my happiness. So there had to be been something within me. And that's where my journey started to seek out what that could be. And it really led to a lot of self-exploration, which I think that those of us who've had these moments where we're wondering, what's the point of all of this hard work? We reach for these things. We're reading books, we're listening to podcasts, we're following inspiring people, and we're figuring out what aligns with us, what sticks with us and what speaks to us. And that's really where my journey started. And, you know, I already had a therapist. So there was that. No shame in my mental fitness game for sure. Right. And trying to figure out what is it that I am missing in all of this? What is it that I'm missing to find my own happiness? And it was until I came across one book that I read that delved into emotional intelligence for business owners and leaders that it really resonated with me. The emotional state that we go through when we are stressed, when we have staff, when we're talking to patients, when we are figuring out who we are first and then applying it outward. And it was really that particular book that started aligning my thoughts with, hey, maybe this is what is going to be the solution to what I'm seeking. Because even going to different continuing education seminars and things like that, I'm seeking out the happiest person in the room and I'm trying to figure out what their formula is, right? But it's not that easy to go to someone's formula and say, that's my answer. It has to really come from within the realization of what is going to work for you. And I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm at the, what, what book? What's the well, book? Oh, <laughs> the book was Emotional Grit by Dr. Nita Bouchon. Okay. She's amazing. It is a great read for anybody. It, you don't have to be in dentistry. I just think any healthcare professional that is somewhat thinking of any of the symptoms I just said, stress, burnout, tired, frustrated, wondering what's the purpose of life. Yep. All of those, all of those uh, things will be answered in this book. And I ended up going on to coach with her. And oh, it, wow. it was the most transitional thing that I've ever done in my life. 
including my professional degrees, <laughs> because it changed and shifted and challenged me to ask questions about myself that I never had to ask before, despite the professional help that I've had in the past, right? And so it got me thinking a little bit more about the present and what I was feeling and challenging my beliefs and challenging the emotional state that I found myself repeating and the emotional state and reactions that came across from interpreting what I was feeling. And it was hard. It was tough. There were tears. I won't tell you how many, but it was definitely the most humbling experience to learn how to be that vulnerable with myself. But I will say as time went on and even past the point of when I coached with her, when I started seeing changes in not just my own inner happiness, but my relationships with my husband, my child, my staff, my team, even my patients, it started kind of dawning on me that I was onto something. Like, I'm happier living this way. I'm happier living with a better understanding of why I'm feeling what I'm feeling and tackling it at the root instead of waiting for the symptom and how to communicate better and communicate with a more emotional awareness to myself and to the other person. And it was really that that inspired me to go back and get my own certification because I started talking to people when I was feeling all of this improvement in my life. Of course, you want to share it, right? You want to share it with your friends. You want to share it with other people. And I started sharing my story with other dentists and other people that were struggling or I felt like they may have felt the same way I felt. And I started realizing that it was more common than not the unhappy practitioner. And it really struck me as, wait a second, if this is what's going on, how can I help? How can I help my industry? How can I help my husband? You know, how can I help other people in my life that truly need this type of instruction. And so that's what I did. I went back and I got my own certification through uh, Six Seconds and ISEI. Both of them are emotional intelligence programs that you can get your certification through. And through that process, I was able to gain tools and a system to actually walk people through a program that I can create on my own. And that's what I did. So doing that and having that in alignment with private practice was incredible because now I can tap into the answers to frustration instead of just feeling <laughs> the frustration, which a lot of us get to. And it's been a really great journey with, with expressing and sharing that point of view and being able to coach clients um, from all healthcare professionals, not just dentistry. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun to do this. So I, I need you to take a step back for a second to just okay. what EQ is because you know, my rudimentary understanding is there's IQ, which is like your ability to solve a math problem, put together a puzzle, right. something like that, right? And then there's EQ, which I, whenever I think of EQ, I think of my wife because my wife can, I, I have her read my emails sometimes. I have her re read my texts because I'm, I would say my EQ is, well, hers is significantly higher than mine. And I recognize that. And so I might not have the appropriate tone in those messages. And so I'll have her read them in order to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the message across, but also not like a blunt instrument, right? With a little mm -hmm. bit of nuance and subtlety and, and caring. And, and so I think of one's ability to communicate as being part or even central to EQ, not necessarily, I guess, it, it's called EQ for reason, emotional intelligence or emotional quotient, not so much knowing, understanding your own emotions. So any idea why I might be thinking that's what it is and, and why, how you can kind of bring those two things together? 
Absolutely. So EQ or EI, as some call it, the emotional intelligence quotient, it's different than IQ because IQ is what we measure in terms of what we think of as smartness, the actual intellect that we are born with, that we can foster, that we can build upon. EQ is your emotional understanding of not just yourself, but other people as well. And the thing that's unique about EQ versus IQ is that you can grow it. You can actually shift the way we think to become more aware of our emotions and the emotions of others. And actually, EQ has more divisions underneath it, like social intelligence, your social intelligence quotient, which has been shown. There's different programs at like Google and Apple and these big companies, they're onto something because they're figuring out how do people actually relate to each other? How do we connect to each other? Because it has been found that emotions truly are the currency of connection. And when we connect better, we can grow better. And I think it's something that's become very trendy, right? As far as the emotional intelligence concept, the word, the term, but ultimately it comes down to, do we understand why we're doing what we're doing? And do we understand why we're feeling the way we're feeling. And what does that mean? And when we get that knowledge and we use our emotions as information, we now think differently about the type of response we're going to have versus this hurt me, I'm mad at you, let me go and shoot my mouth, right? We've all had those moments where we've said, possibly something we regretted, an argument with a spouse, <laughs> disciplining a child or whatever else. I mean, those are reactive responses. We're not processing that emotion when we think about what our return reaction is. I think as far as emails and texts like you were talking about, I think it's a very different bear when we are seeing words because it is harder to convey emotions through words in a text or an email, unless you know that person. Because I feel like if you know that person, and you kind of understand what tone they're using without actually reading the tone. But I think within the within the definition of EQ, mm. I think that makes sense because she is able to read the email and then understand the emotional implications of what it says and how right. someone might react to that. So right. I, because I'm not so EQ inclined, my thoughts going, I'm trying to convey this information. Here's how I'm going to convey it. It's in as few words as possible. Send, right? Mm -hmm. And whereas whereas if the, the emotional reaction is taken into account, you might start the email with, hi, I hope your day is going well or something like that, right? So, right. so that's- Because the emotional, yeah. Your own emotions, but knowing yeah. how someone else's emotions might be impacted by your actions. Right. And you know what? No one can blame anybody for getting to the point in this day and age, right? Because we're busy. We have things to do, places to be. And this time in 2019, we are at an information age where we are bombarded with so much information. So our prefrontal cortex is constantly going. It's constantly making sense of all of this information that we're getting. But what we're lacking as far as our human connection, the way we connect with each other and build up our compassion and build up our empathy. And I mean, these are all areas of EQ. When we break down what does EQ involve, it includes empathy and intentionality and communication and interpersonal effectiveness, all these terms that I can throw out there. But what it comes down to is, are we tapping in to the emotional center of ourselves? And can we convey with a connection standpoint what we're trying to say? And you're right. When you ask, how is your day or how's everything going? Or I hope this email meets you at a good space in your life or have an inspiring day. It does convey an element of emotion that we don't realize somebody can take. So it's very smart that you have a very amazing copywriter, it seems, <laughs> to your emails to be able to convey that emotion. I think that's great. Oh, yeah. We, we complement each other very well. <laughs> so everything that, that, that's very general so far in terms mm -hmm. of, and, and, and it all makes sense. But what I want people to, to take away from this is, is something they can start doing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get to that right now. What I'd like to, how I'd like to get there is 
Give us an example of a problem that someone might be having in their practice that they come to you for. So what are, what are like one or two common issues that you see and then one or two actions that you give to your clients to help them improve those problems? Absolutely. So the number, the two highest things that I see is a feeling of burnout and an uncontrollable stress response. So this feeling that they are at their wits end, they're burning the candle at all ends. There's no hope in sight that that's going to change. We've convinced ourselves that this is our state of being. And the stress response of all I can live and breathe is work, or I feel like my life is not balanced, or I'm not happy with the choices that I make. Those are all in response to stress. And these endpoint symptoms that drive people to either say, this is my life, or I want to make change. And it's the latter in which is when I feel like we reach out to somebody. At least it was for me years ago, and it has been for my clients that have sought me out because ultimately we get to a point, many of us, that we don't want to stay in that space. We know that despite how we're feeling, how tired we're feeling, how tired of feeling tired we're feeling, if you're following me, that there has to be something more than what we have in our toolbox of acceptance. And when someone comes to find me, they're looking for an answer. In fact, I will nip this right there. They're looking for a quick answer. And my answer is always... (laughs) That's what I was looking for too. Of course, you are not alone. You are in the majority because what people don't realize is it took years to learn what we know. It took years to learn patterns. It took years to learn behaviors. We are a product of our environment and our experiences. So will it take an overnight process to undo that? Absolutely not. I mean, if we put it with terms of patient care, someone's having symptoms of cardiac issues, is that going to take a day to undo? Absolutely not. It's multifactorial and it takes time to therapeutically get them to where a healthy state would be. And it's a similar way. Now, it's not, I don't delve into the psychology aspect of it. I would say most of my clients have either dabbled with therapy before or are in therapy at the time that they reach out to me because what they're looking for is they are looking for habits. They are looking for accountability. They are looking for a system to challenge what they know. So they have the repairs, the mental blocks that have come their way from trauma and things like that. I don't go into that stuff. I refer to my very well-educated psychology sector of this, and they do a very good job with it. But I find that it's what comes after that. What comes after I know I have dealt with the stuff, that's what we're going to use, in our head. What do I do from here? How do I create a lifestyle that is sustainable? How do I introduce positive psychology elements that are based off of cognitive behavioral therapy? Because that's essentially what EQ coaching can do. It trains and allows actionable tools for people to now align with their lifestyle and be consistent with, which then the habits like with CBT, with cognitive behavioral therapy can now rewire the way we think as in, okay, let me give an example because you wanted an example of something somebody can do. Something as simple as a gratitude exercise, right? Studies have shown that recalling three things you're grateful for on a daily basis for 21 days instigates that pattern of looking for something you are grateful for. And so these small things that add up over time by changing and shifting the way we think about our day-to-day, instead of focusing only on the survival instincts of, oh my gosh, I need a glass of wine at the end of the day. And don't get me wrong. I mean, a glass of wine is fine or vegging out in front of the TV or numbing your day away, but that isn't productive to help the happiness levels that we want and instigating the right hormones and the right healthy patterns that we want to live by and that are more sustainable, frankly, than numbing our life from the information technology that's there. Now, I know I kind of shifted a little bit there, but it really does come down to understanding that it's not a one-day reversal. It takes time to challenge, 
to undo the things that we thought to unlearn, really to unlearn the patterns that we've gotten into. You know, residency does that sleepless nights, <laughs> stress, everything else. And what patterns do we then take on to our life? For me, as a dentist, we're drilled in dental school to be everything we do with our hands has to be perfect down to the millimeter. And that is how we think. So we start to- a, Sorry, was that a pun? Drilling in dental school? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> was that Absolutely. I mean, you are literally measuring down to the millimeter. So you are constantly being bombarded with this idea of perfection. What happens outside of dental school? You start thinking that things in your life need to be perfect. That is the number one thing I see with dental professionals, for instance. And so it's not that we're looking for these things. It's what we've acquired through our experiences. And how do we challenge that? What am I? I think think one thing that I'd like to go back to with the gratitude. You mentioned, you know, it's important to have gratitude. And so what you what you're doing is by recognizing something that you're grateful for, that that's helpful. But what that trains you to do is notice things then later on as you're hap- as 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 they're happening. Absolutely. Rather than, rather than just at the end of each day saying, I'm grateful that this thing happened, or I'm grateful that I'm able to pay my mortgage, and I'm grateful that we have food on our table. Right. Right. You what you're doing is each day then you're on the lookout for things to be grateful for. So that takes that's that's a habit that needs to be developed so that you can be on the lookout for those things as opposed to what our brain has evolved to do, which is not die. So right. you're looking for <laughs> right. you're looking for, yeah, to just reproduce and don't die so that you can reproduce again. And then right. so so this is anxiety is actually adaptive because right. If you were the most anxious, you were the least likely to get eaten by bears. So Absolutely. like these are these are but that doesn't work in today's society, right? Because we've well, safety. We're not where most of us aren't being chased by bears or right. lions or whatever. So then you have to get out of that mindset of trying not to get eaten. <laughs> Instead of trying to notice the bears, you have to notice the uh, flowers, so to speak. Right. And we put ourselves in that state of being stressed and having our elevated cortisol levels. And we start to get the terms fear and anxiety intermixed, right? Fear actually being chased by a bear. Yes, you should be afraid. You need to survive. Ah, but anxiety, the perceived fear, the perceived fear of something that hasn't happened. How many times you talk to somebody, they say, I can't sleep at night. I was thinking about X, Y, and Z. It's a perceived fear, but your body doesn't know the difference. What happens to us over a course of a lifetime at that state. What happens? We are giving and feeding into that negative feedback loop. That happens because we are very adaptable. We are amazing creatures. Our brain is an incredible organ. And so when we're constantly giving and feeding the negative state and allowing ourselves to believe in that negative state, and we're not taking a cognizant way of taking a step back and saying, wait a second, is this truly what I'm thinking right now? Or is this something I have learned to think? When we start being that aware of what we're telling ourselves, we want to change. And the incredible thing about increasing your EQ, whether you do it with listening to a podcast or reading books or doing coaching or whatever venue you choose to do, taking a seminar, it doesn't matter what venue you look at. Listening to podcasts is the way to do it. Well, the step is the step. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) listening to podcasts. Guess is the way to do it. You are. I would recommend doing any other lots of podcasts. But you have to be open, right? Like the podcast, if something reaches you, that's where you're stepping stone to learn about more. That's where you start. And I think that when you actually sorry to to keep interrupting, but the 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 being open because I I just want to pivot from there for a second. It sounds like when a lot of people end up coming to you, they're, you said they're, they're perfectionists. They're looking for the, the, everything needs to be just right. And when it's not, it really stresses them out. And so you mm-hmm. end up, one of the things is you help them with gratitude so they can appreciate all the things that are going well and all the good things that are, are in their life. But what about for those people who things are going really well, right? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. happy with their practice. They like their patients. Their, mm-hmm. their family life is going well. But they're listening to this because they're in a good place. And, and they want it to be better. And and right. I might be wrong, but my assumption is most of the people that are going to be looking for things like this 
are people who are already doing well and yes. want to be able to do better. Not necessarily like when you, when you encounter the physician who's mm-hmm. super stressed out. And mm-hmm. so he might be, he or she might be lashing out and, you know, short tempered mm-hmm. patients and short tempered with their staff. They might not have the wherewithal to recognize that that's what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas people that are doing well, I think are more inclined to be like, I'm doing well. Hey, but I want to do better. So those people, what, what are some, actionable things that they can do to improve their emotional intelligence. Absolutely. So usually the people that you say that are okay or they're doing well, they've already started the journey to self-discovery because EQ is not the answer for everything, right? It is a tool and it is a very important tool, but it's not going to solve a plethora of every other issue. It's going to address an area of your life that you might not have given the thought to improve. And so, yes, people that are looking to improve themselves have already been on this self-discovery of figuring out why am I working as hard as I'm working? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And how do, am I as happy as I could be? Because that's usually the question. Do I have balance in my life? Am I as happy as I could be? And this seems to fall into their path of, wait a second, maybe I'm not as emotionally aware. And gratitude is just one. I mean, it is one tool of the many more tools that I use in my particular program, but it all starts from emotional self-awareness because we run a life of automaticity. We are constantly going. We get used to things very easily. Hedonic adaptation. We're really adaptable creatures, but we don't always slow down enough to practice the mindfulness, to be aware of where we are in the moment that we are. We are not always aware to think, why do I think the way that I think? So a lot of the exercises that we work with, well, let me even backtrack there. My process, since I am a certified EQ coach, I actually administer a test and it's not an IQ test, it's an EQ test. And what it does is it helps helps give a visual to a client per se to see where their strengths are and where their vulnerabilities are and what we can do to create a program to utilize their strengths to help where they are struggling. Because a lot of times until we see a visual, we don't realize where we're actually struggling with. Are we struggling with personal power? Are we struggling with the self-talk, self-esteem, and having self-compassion for ourselves. What are the tools we need to do with that? So the first step is always the awareness. The first step is always the self-awareness because if we're not accurately looking at ourselves, if we're not accurately gauging our emotions or understanding and being proud and and having self-compassion for ourselves, how can we then manage it, right? How can we, how can I give those tools? Find that? Is there a place or does this need to be administered by an emotional intelligence coach or is there like a platform that we can find online to take a questionnaire? Because if we think maybe we think we're doing really well and then we take Mm -hmm. the questionnaire and find out actually we're a terrible person. (laughs) I don't think anyone can be a terrible person. I just think that their emotional state just may be not as developed as someone who's done the work. <laughs> you know, that's well, what I'm going to say. If the questionnaire um, is like, it's a smiley face and, you're, and the question is, is this person happy, sad, or I don't care? Well, it's more of how... The questions are more, how, how would this make you feel? Or what would this mean to you? And so they're more thought-provoking questions to see from uh, a gut instinct standpoint. So there is not a right or wrong. When I go through an evaluation with someone... It's not to point out what they're horrible at. And oh my God, like you're never going to communicate with anybody because that was your weakest point. No, it's, a, it's literally looking at it and thinking about why that is such a struggle and what are the patterns that we've acquired in our life that contribute to that struggle, right? And as far as to answer your question about, is there an online test? Well, there is an online everything right? Because we can diagnose everything in the healthcare field online with our friendly friend, Dr. Google. And is there an EQ test out there? I'm sure there is. Is there somebody who can make sense of it and apply it to exactly what you're doing? Most of the time, you would have to seek a certified coach through one of these programs. And the only reason why I say that is we have the training to decipher it, apply it, and produce not a cookie cutter program, but something that actually applies to you to encourage growth. Because I can create programs out the wazoo, but if someone is not motivated to really truly dig that deep within themselves and do the hard work to improve their emotional well-being, then it doesn't matter what I do 
right? So I think that there are resources out there. Anybody can Google them, take a look at them, read read upon them. But ultimately, what it comes down to is how motivated are you to go to the other side? And the clients that seek me out, they want accountability, right? And they want to actually see change. And I don't promise them change in a day. Most of my engagements are at least three months because I'm not going to tell somebody, first of all, I don't take on everybody that reaches out to me because not everybody's ready to shift. And that's part of the process is to figure out if someone is ready. But when they are, that is where the growth happens. And it keeps growing even beyond the time that they are working with me. The clients that I now touch base with when I started this years ago, I mean, they are doing some really stellar things. And it's a cool ripple effect to see. But it all starts from within. It starts with taking emotional inventory of how do we feel during the day? How can we check in with ourselves? What kind of responses are we having during the day? Do we understand that maybe when we snapped at that colleague that there might have been something else going on? Do we understand that that moment of joy or happiness when our kid took their first step that was fleeting? How can we reproduce that feeling in other aspects of the way we move our life? And and shifting the way we go through life instead of automatically doing it, when we're more aware of how we feel, we are now managing it better. And then when we take that second step, when we understand how to manage our own emotions, now we can take it to a social environment. We can take it to what is this person trying to tell me because their words are saying something, but they seem pretty pissed at me right? So we can now take the emotional awareness we have for ourselves and understand another human being differently. And we are able to now communicate with them and manage a social emotional environment in a better way, which is where my practice personally, that's when my practice grew. When I knew how to manage my team and I started talking to them differently, communicating with them differently, connecting with them differently, and even my patients. My case acceptance was a lot easier (laughs) when you come from a place of compassion and understanding someone's emotional state versus telling them what they need, which is a very different kind of conversation. The fact that you're this is coming from a dentist. It actually took me by surprise just because <laughs> you're most of the time the patient is sitting there with their mouth open and they're not doing much talking. But I guess there is a whole lot of interaction before and after. And also your, your visits tend to be much more time consuming mm-hmm. than than the typical doctor's visit. So you're spending a lot more time with your patients. And I, and, and actually, I guess that, that emotional intelligence is all that more important because all you're seeing is how the patient is moving their brows and you have to <laughs> you're saying from all that. Right, right. It's not so much the amount of time that you have with a patient. It's the quality of what you're saying. And are you able to convey compassion in that few seconds that you have? Are you able to create a connection where they believe and trust you? That's where emotional intelligence helps in the healthcare field because we can now connect with someone a little bit deeper than, hey, Mrs. Jones, how's your day going? you know, versus, hey, what what's something amazing that's happened to you lately? I'd love to hear about it. Or remember Melanie's wedding? I mean, it takes your conversation to a different place. Now, a lot of us don't have more than five minutes to establish a rapport per se, right? But there is a difference between scripting and there's a difference between connecting. And I think when we learn how to connect based on emotions, of course, our care is going to become more efficient. And it's going to be more productive as well, especially when your team starts to learn that language as well. So let's let's get into that because I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts that you mm-hmm. got your team on board. Mm-hmm. I would think that would be challenging because mm-hmm. you'd encounter some skeptics in all of that. Mm-hmm. So how do you convince your team that this is something that they should buy into? Absolutely. Work? So, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of buying into, (laughs) even though I do like that term, just because a skeptic is always a challenge and I'm up for a challenge and I don't know, there's something to that. But when we start improving ourselves, we can't help but want the people around us to also be in a happier state, right? If you're happy and you're having a great morning and nothing got you down, including that spilt coffee and your kid that didn't want to put their shoes on 10 times and we're late for the bus, but we got to we got to work on time and we're grateful for that and we're we're thinking, hey, you know what? My day's starting over. I'm at work. I have a good, healthy mindset. I know where I am. I know where I want to be. You walk into a room full of miserable people 
do you really want to be in that environment? Absolutely not. So for me, when it came to what do I need to do for my team, it was kind of a selfish thing too for me. It was, I don't want to work with people who don't want to be awake. I don't want to work with people who are miserable inside because that toxic attitude and the toxic energy, it is just that. It translates and spreads to the rest of the office, including the patients. And so what I had to do as a team leader was to teach them tools and not just tools, more than the tools, give them the conversation to be vulnerable and allow them to do the work that needed to be done to learn more about themselves, right? To talk about what are we grateful for this morning? We had yoga sessions. We did, I mean, you don't have to go that extreme. Of course, since at this point I was a certified coach and I'm now doing all of this with my team, but it came down to looking at a stressful interaction with a patient. What would we, what could we have said different? What, what would we have said different? How could we create more connection and doing connective exercises within each other? How do we get to know each other better? What are we as humans? What makes us happy? What makes us sad? Are we aware of our emotional state? So to answer your question and bring it all back to what that answer would be, how did I get them motivated? happy people are contagious, right? Just like negative energy is contagious. So when- And syphilis. Well, yes. And you know what? We have very good people that can address that. It will not be me. But as far as a mindset and what people want to see, I think as humans, we all want to find a sense of purpose and happiness somewhere along the way. And I think when when people see other people that are- happier and have a lighter energy than possibly where they are, of course they want that. So it didn't take a whole lot of convincing. It took a whole lot of leading and communicating in a way to help me understand what they're going through and how can I as a leader help them with whatever they were going through. Because ultimately that investment of time with my office manager, with her then empowering the rest of the team, it translated to patient care. Because now when my patients are being heard and they are felt like they are cared for, it's a trickle effect. And if my patients love me and they love our office, then hey, happy doc, right? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think leading by example is certainly easier said than done. But if if you're getting all stressed out and you're running behind and the next patient shows up late and you're saying, oh man, you know, why can't this person have the decency to show up on time for their appointment? And now they're going to set me back for the rest of the day. Your, your staff is going to respond to that and then, and then act in kind, right? Then they're, then when they're confronted with that patient, the patient, they're going to be address them using similar verbiage to what you just used. So mm-hmm. if you're someone that listen, I understand, that, oh man, that person must have been stuck in traffic or you don't know, they might've had something going on at home. Let's try and be understanding and help them out, right? Then that also gets passed on to the staff. So I think that leading by example, really easier said than done, right. but of but but it has a ripple effect. Absolutely. And empathetic communication is one of the things that I actually train teams on. I do local coaching and train teams locally in dentistry where we actually talk about what does this sound like with each other? What does this sound like with our patients? And I'll give the rubric right here. I mean, it's not something that I particularly made up. I've honed in on how to use it in healthcare settings, but you're really using active listening as your main tool. But instead of going straight to solving, which Hello, anybody in there? (laughs) Anybody out there wanting to solve a problem as soon as they hear it? But once you go from active listening, the key, the cream of the Oreo, if you want to call it that, is reflecting the emotion. This changes the way we have conversations with each other because if someone comes in and they're upset about something, right? And you're seeing that they're upset about something. What is it that we're listening for? If we listen for the emotion and then we reflect that emotion, hey, I understand you must feel overwhelmed right now. This is a lot to take in. I understand it wasn't the news you were expecting, right? That 
that pause right there, that reflection of that emotion now leads to more accepted case acceptance. It leads to people understanding that one, you come from a place of caring and two, you understand them innately as a human being. And that's what we want. People that come to us as healthcare practitioners, innately, they want to be heard just like we want to be heard. But that little tool right there, it doesn't take more than three minutes, not even. And most of us have a few minutes to at least acknowledge that emotion before we give them the solution. And it changes the way we practice at that time. My husband's used it and he's an anesthesiologist. And it's interesting when I hear him, how he's translated it into his lingo, because it still does come down to addressing the emotion. I understand this is scary. I understand this is overwhelming. And using the language in that way, because people then go to that place of trust that no matter what comes out of his mouth next, they already are connecting in a way that they didn't connect before. So I think for my patients, right, I'm an ENT. So they come in with a sinus infection and (laughs) Rather, So I take the history, I think ending the history with, wow, that sounds really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. uh, and then moving on to the exam, and then moving on to the, just taking that pause for a second to acknowledge their, how they're feeling right now. That Absolutely. That really uncomfortable. That sounds really anxiety provoking. Like a lot of people come and see us with, uh, it's called globus pharyngeus, just a lump mm-hmm. sensation in their throat. And most of the time, it's you know, it's nothing scary or dangerous. So acknowledging that they're here because they think they have cancer, right? right? Like that's what that's what's going through everybody's mind because like you said, they went on to Dr. Google and they looked it up and it told them <laughs> that they had cancer because that's right. what Dr. Google tells everybody. Right. Uh, <laughs> even if you have cancer, but you have throat cancer. So, <laughs> right. so, um, so saying, wow, that, that sounds like it's making, uh, that would make me really nervous. Just, just pausing for a second, acknowledging the- right the distress, the discomfort, whatever it is, the emotion that they're in, and then moving on to solving the problem. I don't think, I I think you could do that even adding a few seconds to each visit, not, you know, not even a few minutes, just a few seconds. And it'll, it'll buy you a whole lot of new fans and maybe a couple more Yelp reviews. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then what do patients remember? They don't remember how quickly you solve their problem. They remember how much you cared because that's how we're wired. That is how we are wired. We are looking for connection. We are looking for the innate need to connect. And by just spending that few seconds to say, I understood you or I hear you, I acknowledge what you're feeling, it shifts. It definitely shifts not just the patient perception, but it also makes your day easier when someone is going from a high stress state of thinking they have cancer to, oh, now you are the hero because it was this, you know, I think it would come a lot better when it's, wow. And he cared so much about me. Wow. I am referring all of my friends, friends, and and friends there. They're less likely to feel like the patient that had their concerns dismissed. Oh, you're fine. It's nothing. Sounds very different from, wow, that sounds like it's really uncomfortable. Oh, turns out it's nothing to worry about. Right. I think just a few seconds. That was, that was a really powerful tip. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or any, any other tips that you think bear mentioning any, any other little bits of advice that you have to, um, or, or resources that we can turn to, to help us improve our emotional intelligence and emotional awareness. Absolutely. I think that the, the other thing I really see a lot of high achieving professionals do, especially healthcare professionals, is we spend a lot of time taking care of our patients and not putting the emphasis on taking care of ourselves. And I think that if there's something I can definitely suggest out there is not waiting for the signs of having to take a break or needing to take a break or needing to get away, rather in fulfilling our life a little bit more microscopically where we can add moments where we do things for ourselves to take care of our mental well-being, our emotional well-being on a regular basis instead of waiting for, I mean, don't get me wrong, vacations are fantastic, but if vacations are the only time you're detoxing from social media and you are taking a break from everything or picking up a book and reading it that is not like medically profound, then there is a problem, right? And we want to make sure that if we take a step back and think of ourselves as humans, what inspires us? What makes us happy? Is it going to concerts more often? Is it indulging in something creative? Or remember that time where I used to ride bikes? Or remember that time where I used to do this? Kind of going back to what 
brought us true happiness and joy along the process of learning how to be how we are, if we tap back into that and get that into our day a little bit more frequently, I think we would see happier practitioners who feel a little more balanced because sometimes we think, hey, if we work really hard now, I'll have all this time later, whereas it's the quality of time that we have now and how are we using that to sustain for the time that we need to sustain. A little less in the survival mode and a little bit more in the happiness and joy mode. I think self-care, self-compassion, and understanding that we as humans are not robots and that we need breaks and it is healthy for us to take breaks and it is healthy for us to say no when we need to. I mean, there's so many things that I would love to say, but we only have so much time on this podcast, so I'm trying to speak really fast. <laughs> I've noticed that. So if anyone is putting me on two or three X, you might want to go back and listen to all of the stuff I just said. But really, I think the main thing that I would you know, advise anybody who's finding themselves going, okay, what do I do from here? Really evaluate what your days look like and are you putting enough items in your day that make you feel like you other than what you do and the titles you have and the roles that you wear because I truly think that's more sustainable for a longer period of time than waiting to the point of us getting to that stressed burnt out state where people are now thinking I have to do something where you're going to end up one of those old curmudgeon doctors in the doctor's lounge that retired and can't seem to leave the doctor's lounge. Absolutely. Because you know what? If you don't think that you deserve happiness, you're not going to look for happiness. If you don't think that you deserve to be joyful and find things that make you feel more centered and fulfilled, then you're going to you you can live an entire lifetime and not find those things but are they truly happy do we want to be happier for the people around us too because a happier you makes you better to everybody else as well and that's not the reason to do it you should be happy innately but it's a nice side effect when your spouse or your kids or the people that you work with notice that you're taking care of yourself as well just like when you come back from a vacation and you look recharged and it's not just the tan <laughs> for 5 minutes absolutely absolutely all right. Well, Dr. Shaquille Angadi, the Inspired Dentist, thank you very much for all the time you've given us. Where can people find you online? Absolutely. So you can find me at theinspireddentist.com. That's my website. I have a lot of resources, reading, podcasts, all sorts of fun stuff over there. I do speak and write as well. I have some projects in the works. So I'm excited to share all of that on that platform. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, same handle, The Inspired Dentist. And keep in touch because I'd love to hear what you guys think, especially about this episode. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.